to the edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Kill Guard Studios. Hey, 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 what's going on, Bass Edge Nation? Man, thanks for joining us, obviously, for another episode of the show. Um, man, uh, the, obviously, want to encourage everybody. As you know, we've gone YouTube. This is our fourth episode on YouTube, so um, make sure you, uh, whether you're YouTubing or on a regular streaming audio, uh, make sure you hit that subscribe button and um, join us every time for another show, hopefully an educational show here at Bass Edge Radio. Um, I got to tell you, this is our 400th episode. Uh, I, can't, I can't say, I'm, I've been here since... 2012, uh, almost, it's 11, 11 plus years, so it's pretty amazing. But in celebration of our 400th episode, we're going to do a giveaway, lucky for everybody out there. Um, you're going to have an opportunity to win $125 Midway USA gift card. That's right, you're going to get five of these $25 Midway USA gift cards, man, 125 bones. You can you can buy some nice stuff with 125 bones, but all you got to do to enter that is to like, comment on this episode, and obviously subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, man, get after it. Get a piece of that $125. Just I say a piece. One person is going to get this whole piece right here, so it's going to be pretty awesome. Um, first. Up, I'd like to mention a little post I did on my social media last week, and uh, it was probably one of the, the the best posts I've ever made from a MegaWare standpoint. And and I did a highlight on the Scuff Buster, uh, showing my boat, my my Ranger, uh, pull up onto uh, my trailer, and the Scuff. The Scuff Buster that I have is the Balgard XL. It fits perfect there on my Ranger. But it was unreal. 11 hours of watch time on this little 8-second video. It was pretty awesome. Um, I want to make sure that everybody logs into MegaWare.com. Make sure they check out all of their accessories that are available. Obviously, the one I just mentioned, the Scuff Must the scuff buster but um you know some really practical products they have there on the show been a partner with bass edge for a long long time the first manufacturer of a diy keel guard still an industry standard today let's go uh breaking down some things going on in the bass fishing world uh, man, just since our, our last show, May 1st, we've, we've crowned a few more champions. Luke Palmer uh, took it away down at Santee Cooper in the Bassmaster Elite Series. Uh, 96 pounds, 14 ounces, won the event by 14 pounds. And that's, uh, that's pretty impressive on that five fish limit. Um, we had a we had a really neat Bassmaster Open go on over at Bugs Island, um, you know my home turf where I, where I originally from. I grew up on the Potomac River um, in Northern Virginia. Obviously Bugs Island, or as folks in North Carolina like to say, Car Reservoir, um, old school fish factory. Uh, had a lot of BASS events and even some early FLW events there on that impoundment, but. Powell Kemp, a local from there in North Carolina, took the crown. Man, went old school. 
love to see this. Uh, it was it was neat to see how the conditions changed in that tournament. The water came up a lot. I, I say a lot, like two and a half, three feet over just a couple day period. And uh, Pal Kemp able to roll some spinner baits, uh, capitalize on some shad spawn. You saw uh, a lot of folks flipping and pitching out there. David Williams had a really tough first day. David Williams, Bassmaster Elite Series angler, but man, he wrecked them on day two and three, made it a really close event. So uh, congratulations to Powell for punching that ticket to the Classic and, and obviously David Williams for a great event out there. Um, just last week, uh, John Cox, guy, guy, guy is just insane with the sight fishing. Won the MLF Invitational at Lake of the Ozarks sight fishing. His... His uh, high school childhood buddy, Keith Carson, finishes second. Um, Marshall Robinson, uh, MLF Bass Pro Tour angler son, Marty Robinson. Marty son, Marshall, comes in third place there. Looked like he sight fished for, for, a, for a majority of the event. Um, later on in the show, in the showcase segment, we're going to talk to Gray Buck. Also had a great event. He just missed the cup. The cut, finishing in 11th place, but a solid finish. Now he's top five in the AOI. We're going to talk to Gray a little bit about that event and a little bit about his standing, where he's where his thought process is, um, having a great year and going into these uh, last couple of events on the uh, MLF Invitational Circuit. Alton Jones Jr. rocked it at the Heavy Hitters. This is a special event that MLF puts on for the uh, Bass Pro Tour anglers. We're going to get into a little bit about how that works out. But in the championship round, 14 is pretty good for, for a five-fish limit. But what I talked about, Luke Palmer went at the Santee. But I, I'm going to say, you know, Alton Jones, maybe the biggest domination ever. Won by 60 pounds over Dakota Ebear. Um, he won by 65 pounds over second place angler Andy Morgan. Um, man, I'm excited to hear more about this process that went down with Alton Jones Jr. He is going to be our featured angler in the spotlight segment of our show. We're going to talk to him about his winning lures, uh, you know, his winning ways, um, kind of his his interesting mesh with this heavy hitters event. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. But uh, that's going to be an exciting part of this episode for sure. Alton Jones Jr. being our featured angler. Uh, always got to mention great info coming in from uh, Jay Kumar. If you, if you don't subscribe to the Bass Blaster, uh, it's pretty much a must. Uh, you can do that real easily by sending an email to BassBlaster at BassBlaster.com or simply just you know, Google on the web, BassBlaster.com. You can read all of those newsletters, but if you sign up, you're going to get it to your email box as soon as one comes out every time. One interesting thing that I saw recently in Jay's uh, Bass Blaster article was down at Lake, uh, Lake Okeechobee. Uh, they had a team tournament down there, and they had over 20 bags weighing 30 plus pounds and there was another ridiculous amount of 20 plus pound bags so that place is just on fire i know a part of that is because the lake is fishing small the fish don't have a whole lot of places to to, to travel to because the vegetation there is is a big concern but man if you want to catch some really big fish and a lot of them okeechobee might be a place to look at going to um just recently here in the last couple days uh 
we'll have to dig a little bit more into this, but we had a we had a disqualification at the uh, Toledo Bend Bassmaster Open um, late last month, and um, it's it's really interesting what happened there. We got Keith Poche. Uh, we've had him on the episodes uh, here just a couple shows ago, actually. And uh, talking about his uh, off the grid and and how he's getting uh, to some areas that are hard to get to by by other boats, but completely within the rules. In this scenario, Bass felt like there was something that that he accessed some water that was not tournament waters. Uh, it's it's an interesting story there. We're gonna follow up on that a little bit. Maybe talk about it a little bit more in our June one episode as more and more information comes out about that. But uh, obviously, as we chat here on the podcast, you got the Lay Lake uh, Bassmaster Elite Series going on. Brandon Pollock come out of the gate really quick on that one. And uh, we've also got a Toyota Series, an MLF Toyota Series going on down there at Lake Eufaula in Alabama. Be interesting to see how that offshore bite kind of really starts to take off and, and just how things are, are, are progressing. Again, we've talked about it in some previous episodes but talking about how patterns progress throughout the springtime. Uh, now we're looking from spawn going into that post-spawn and, and soon to be, if not already, maybe down at Lake Eufaula, but some early summer patterns. So um, what we're gonna do right now is uh, we're gonna break real quick, just for a few minutes, and we're gonna come back with Gray Buck in our showcase segment. Y'all stay tuned. Bass Edge Radio is going to be back in just a moment. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so choose the protection the pros pick. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. The MegaWare Keel Guard is made tough and made to stick. Install it yourself in less than an hour. Providing the most dependable, most trusted protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Insist on the original keel guard the pros have picked for 25 years. MegaWare Keel Guard. Nitro. A rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champions, where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast, a pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. Getting right back at it. Welcome back to the program. As you can see, uh, welcome back to Bass Edge Radio. We're in our showcase segment. Excited to hear from this guy that's on your screen, MLF Invitational Pro, Gray Buck. Gray, thank you so much for being with us here on Bass Edge Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be part of the show again, and I must be doing something right if you want to have me on. <laughs> Absolutely, you're doing something right, for sure. I, I assume I can tell you're, it looks like you're in a garage, you're home in PA. And yeah. uh, how, how's the bassin going on right now? Mid-March, Pennsylvania, or excuse me, mid-May, Pennsylvania. Give us a little update on uh, what some of the fishing conditions are like there around your hometown. You know what? I was just out on the water today. I've been running um, a couple of guide trips now I have between... The Lake of the Ozarks and the Potomac, I got uh, probably 15 of them or so set up. So okay. we were out there today, 
the fishing's awesome. Right now, we got pre-spawners. We got fish that are on beds. We got ones that are just getting off. That water temp's right around 63 degrees. So it, it's a prime time to have everything go. And it, it really is. It's a lot of fun. I had uh, two gentlemen out today that were customers from last year that came with me. We caught a bunch of fish then. And we went out there. And we caught a pile of them today. Uh, a lot of Ned rigging, kind of dragging along. Okay. Fishing for those ones we couldn't quite see. And then um, as they were fishing up in the shallow stuff where they fish were probably spawning, I was dragging a jig out deep, and I caught a big old post-spawn girl. She was just over five pounds, which for Pennsylvania, that's a big one. That is a big one. That That's a great fish. And, and you've been catching a lot of good fish this year. Let's talk about this real quick. And you're off to a great start. Um, you're sitting fourth place in the current Angler of the Year with the MLF Invitationals. Um, you're and, and really, you're no stranger to doing well in the Angler of the Year stand. You've had a lot of years where you, you've been hovering either in that top 10 or just out of that top 10. Um, you know, oftentimes there's some things that, that, you know, maybe some influences in your life or in your fishing that lead to this kind of positive momentum. And, or, or maybe we lead, lean on a hot technique throughout a springtime. Um, what do you feel like it is that you've got going for you this spring to be successful? You know, there was one thing I think that, um, really got my season kicked off, started like pretty strong was. I got the fish all winter this year. We did not have a cold year here in Pennsylvania. So even when the fishing wasn't at its best, we were catching a lot of fish, but I was out there fishing two, three times a week still. And then before the first um, MLF invitation on Okeechobee, I took my boat down early, kind of did a couple of days of fishing, just kind of grafted around. And then my wife came down with me a week before Okeechobee. We just fished for a week, just having fun. I really feel like that got me... I wasn't as rusty as I had been in other years going into it. Because, like, some years we get snow and our ice freezes all of our lakes over, and I can't get out. And this year I didn't have that. It was, we had, whatever, 50, 60-degree days through December and January. Wow. So just kind of staying in tune before the season began, you feel like, is was a big key. Maybe maybe hanging out, spending some time. Did the wife catch some big ones, too? Oh, yes. We, <laughs> we caught two or three big ones down in Florida. We went and did a little of those exotic uh we were caught to those clown knife fish down in like the okay. Miami area. We were just having a good old time. It was just kind of hooking and casting and catching whatever we could. That's awesome. Man, I'm no stranger to your social media. I saw just recently you posted a fish that, that Jessica caught, your wife. Um, it had some amazing coloration to it. Did you get any clarity on on is that the, the most colorful fish? I mean, the it had a lot of black spots on almost I would say the fish was almost like 70% black. Yeah. There's one little lake near me that we fish just in the evenings when she gets done work, we can get over there for two, three hours before it gets dark. And that lake just has them. It, <laughs> there's a lot of lakes that have that, I guess it's called melanosis. And okay. there's black pigmentation. It, it's like almost camo looking, this fish. And I catch a lot of them out of there that have that. And they're always healthy. So I don't think there's any issue with it. Right. Um, it's a neat little place, though. It, it kicks out like that one. Was, we didn't weigh it, but it was probably a four and a half pounder. It was a good, solid fish, and it was a good fish, and it was very unique looking. If you haven't, if you haven't uh, had a chance to go check out Gray Bucks Fishing's uh, social, you have to do that. It was, it was a cool deal. Um, man, let's let's dive back into this uh, Lake of the Ozarks tournament. I've kind of talked about it a little bit uh, in the pre-show. You just missed the cut over there, uh, but still had a great tournament. Finished eleventh place. Uh, most of the top anglers sight fished. You were one of the few guys 
that, that started off in that mid-teen range. I think he had 14 and 14, you know, two 14-pound bags somewhere in that neighborhood. And then you really jumped up there that last day to finish 11th with an 18-plus pound bag. One of the better bags, I would probably say, just fishing during the tournament and not sight fishing. Um, tell us how that kind of came about and, and how you progressed to do better throughout the event. So what kind of happened in that event is everybody expected it to be a full-blown spawn mm -hmm. tournament. And they were definitely spawning. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Friday of the tournament, that's day two, it was the full moon. So I, the fish should have been coming to us. And I did a lot of it in practice. I did a lot of the looking, searching, trying to find them. And I had, I don't know, maybe four four pounders on beds and a handful of threes and a bunch of just little twos. And where I'm at in Pennsylvania, we don't have clear water. I can't sight fish. I thought I was going to go into this sucker and go sight fishing. And <laughs> right. Day one, I went out there. I started out trying to just fish. And I was throwing a check hammer, uh, chatterbait, just reeling along, catching what I could until the sun got up. The sun got up. I went to my first three beds. None of them are there. I catch one three pounder on it um, off one of the beds I had marked. I felt like I was almost wasting time just hmm. kind of looking. I was like, I had to keep going in between all these dock cables and it's just not my comfort zone. So a lot of what I've been doing this year too, we were talking about momentum. I've also just been fishing what I'm confident in and that's really helped. I think catch more fish and bigger fish. And um, yeah, so that was what I did day one, day two, I went the opposite direction. I went away from that clear water. I didn't want anything to do with it again. Mm -hmm. I fished a couple of areas that I had got some bites in practice and caught what I did between those areas and then just running new water. So then on day three, it was like, well, it kind of worked and I was running out of spots that I had already fished. So I was like, oh, let's just go kind of run around and see what happens. <laughs> the first area I pulled up in, I'm throwing that, I have it still tied on. It's that jackhammer. It's a green pumpkin one. It's got a razor shad on there. It's called hot snakes. It's got a little bit of chartreuse. Okay. And what these fish were doing, I was still fishing for bedding fish, but I wasn't physically looking at them. So uh -huh. I'm taking my jackhammer, throwing it up at these docks. They have a cable on either side, and then there's a walkway. There would be a bed on each cable and under the walkway. And it was really super patternable. Basically, you went into any creek arm that had a little um, pocket in it, and that little secondary point from there back, those docks all had a fish on it. Wow. And it was a numbers game. You had to go catch 50 of them to get seven that were solid keepers, but it was fun fishing. I don't know if you've ever been to Lake of the Ozarks, but it's, it's got them. I have been one time and I was there with an MLF selects event. So okay. they're one of those no practice deals, uh, just show up and go fishing and uh, caught a lot of fish. That, that place is jam loaded with bites. Absolutely. Uh, and a lot of fun, but can be difficult uh, bank fishing because, like you mentioned, a lot of docks, a lot of cables. Uh, there's there's a lot of that, lot lot going on on the bank there. So it's it's uh, it's interesting how that turned out. But but you had that kind of we we actually we we rehashed this now from an episode a couple couple weeks ago, and and that was basically you had a developing pattern going on, which is which is really cool. You were able to uh, kind of shift from that sight fishing plan to. Um, you know this developing pattern that you had with the with the jackhammer and and man it seems like every time if you can fish freely and then run into a pattern that's working it's it tends to be kind of lights out do you find that on a consistent basis 
Absolutely. Because if you can get those bites, you have the confidence in yourself to keep running it throughout the whole lake. And then that's where it doesn't matter if you've ever fished in that section. It's almost better if you haven't, because then you're just kind of going through, I don't want to say going through the motions, but going through the rhythm of mm-hmm. putting your bait where it needs to be. And like those cables would be six inches underneath the water. So you had to skip your jackhammer. Like it, it took a lot of um, like technique. Where patience, yeah. And patience, because if you didn't, if you skip that wrong or the wake from a big boat came by, it would skip your uh, <laughs> batter bait right over top of the cable. And if that happened, I there was one time that I hooked a fish over top of it where I just kind of kept fishing it anyway. I ended up losing it on the cable. I'm uh-huh. like, yeah, we're not doing that. So I just reel in quick after that and recast it, get back into your motion what you had going on and kind of keep going from there. Very cool. Let's let's talk a little bit to to our listeners up there in the Northeast, um, kind of or or Mid Atlantic area. You're kind of right in between that those those sections of the country. Um, what you know, we always want to jump into fishing and either just fish to evolve a pattern. But you're always going to have some preconceived notions. You launch the boat, you check the water temperature, um, weather conditions. What are some patterns right now in in that mid-Atlantic, northeast area of the country that um, you're looking to capitalize on as you go fishing over these next couple of weeks before you go off to your next event? Yeah, pretty much in that mid-Atlantic area, like the Potomac, Chesapeake, everything right in that area. We still got a lot of pre-spawn fish in this area. And then as you work your way up into the northeast, getting into New York, they're all pretty much pre-spawn up there from what I've heard. I haven't been up yet, but I can't wait to get up there and go catch some of those big smallmouth. But it's it's fun. It's the time of year that these fish are the biggest. They're looking for a big meal. A um, couple of the baits, like I, I harp on this thing, but it, it's my confidence baits. What I throw everywhere I go, you get bites on it. You get big ones on it. And then just you can always slow down. If you get into an area, like this Buckeye – Ball and out jig, this sucker has put, it's made me a lot of money this year. There's been three or four times this year where I catch one key fish in each tournament on it. And it's just, it's a little bit bigger of a profile. And it, it gets those big pre-spawn females that are staging, waiting to come up. They need a big meal to kind of get their eggs going and all that. And that's what they want to eat. And I'm just taking that out, dragging it along, maybe a rocky area or whatever. But it's a really good um, way to catch those fish. I was going to ask you, what, what kind of cover this time of year with, with water temps in the kind of low, you know, approaching mid-60s? Um, are you looking wood cover with a jig like that, rock cover, um, you know, emergent grass, uh, w- w- docks, or, or, or that kind of thing? What, what, do, what do you feel like your confidence zone is with throwing a bait like that? I want to be fishing right outside of um, the areas those fish are going to be spawning. So a lot of times if it's a lay down that's leading back into a cove, they're going to stop there. Those big females are going to stage there. You can flip it right around there. It's the same thing with um, like the Chesapeake or Potomac. It can, might be grass. It might be a lay down. It might be a dock. But I want to fish that stuff that's between like kind of the wintering areas where it's a main channel, a creek channel swing, whatever it is that it holds this fish and you want to intercept them essentially. And what's cool about this is you catch those pre-spawners, but then a month later, you get those fish that are coming right back out to you, the post-spawner. And they go to the same areas. It's it's really predictable, and it makes it for a lot of fun um, this time of year. So it so- sounds like you're looking for some some depth transition areas. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that is fair to say. Grace, you know, I- interesting how your your current area is really um, 
you know, behind everything that you fished already this year. So you're kind of reliving what, what you've already done in most of your events. But, you know, you've got two events left. You've got one there on the Potomac. You've got one up on the uh, Mississippi River in Wisconsin. Mentally, how are you going to prepare for this? I know your ultimate goal is to qualify for that uh, Bass Pro Tour. Um, what do you see coming down the pike over the next two events or the last two events of the year? Yeah, I'm really excited for the Potomac River. I fished down there a decent bit. Um, I already went down and kind of scouted it out. I wanted to see how the grass was growing, where it was, where it wasn't, compared to uh, two years ago when we fished a tournament there for the MLF Pro Circuit, I believe it was yep. called at the time. Right. And um, I think it's going to be a lot of the same. Kind of just a matter of figuring out which grass beds are going to be having those fish that week. And right. I'm going to put myself in a – an area that I think gives me the best opportunity to catch numbers because that's where you're going to get your bigger bites eventually. And um, being sounds familiar like, with it, I'm sorry. I was going to say, sounds like the same thing up in the Mississippi River. Is is that something you see in river systems that that if you just can get around a lot of bites, you'll you'll eventually be able to call up into a, a competitive stringer? Yeah, no, I think that's a lot to do with just any grass fishery, to be honest with you. It, mm -hmm. When you can get around a concentration it's amazing how many fish live in that grass. So once you kind of key in those areas um, from practice, I'm going to probably for the, specifically the Potomac, I want to find two areas probably that I can really feel like I can hit it on a higher tide and a lower tide. I'm going to ride it throughout that. I'm not going to do the run and gun deal. It, it's a good way to catch a giant bag, but you get burned on it a lot too. So with where I'm at in the point standings, I have to be a little bit strategic, sure. but I want to catch him at the Potomac. I'm not coming there trying to get a 50th place. I want to go in there and try to get that top 10, give myself a really good shot at uh, making the Bass Pro Tour where going into the Mississippi, there's not as much stress in going over it. Um, there's still going to be some strategy to it, though, because that Mississippi River, the whole locking system, yeah, that's the wild card. It can get you quick, yeah. <laughs> and I went up to seven last time, and – Day one, I only ended up landing three fish, and it kind of it, it burnt me. It hurt me bad. This day two, I went up there though, and I had a limit for like fourteen pounds. It jumped me all the way back up into a check. So, nice. if I can Tough get call. to the point where I'm in good <laughs> point standings, I'm staying in eight. I'm gonna figure it out there. There you go. There you go. Man, it's been great having you on the program. I gotta say, uh, happy to see you doing well. And uh, make great best of luck on these last couple of tournaments. We're going to be watching. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate you having me. And we'll uh, hopefully see you on the road here soon. Absolutely. Plenty of sunshine. Come on, man. Let's roll. What the? To catch the fish, you need to be one with the fish. PowerPole shallow water anchors, you'll get the ultimate in precision, power, and control so you can catch more fish. No face paint or phony fins necessary. Excessive shock and vibration are two leading causes for premature battery failure. Prolong the life of your batteries with the new MegaWare Battery Guard. The Battery Guard sits under your battery and absorbs excessive vibration and bounce, reducing G-Shock by up to 80%. Great for boats or anywhere shock and vibration can damage a battery. The Battery Guard can easily be trimmed to fit virtually any custom shape or battery size. Save money by protecting your batteries. Spend more time on the water and less on maintenance. Find yours at MegaWare.com.
All right, y'all, we're back. Man, it's great to uh, get into this feature angler spotlight. Man, just, you know, one of the coolest things I have ever seen was this thing go down over there in Louisiana during the MLF special event. Heavy hitters, here is your champion with us right here on Bass Edge Radio, Alton Jones Jr. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the, of, of the program. Hey man, thank you. It's uh, it's good to be here. And uh, fun fact, you were actually the first podcast I ever did uh, after <laughs> I won the Open down on the Red River in like 2016. So uh, it's come full circle. We're back Absolutely. Again. Well, that's great to hear. We, you know, uh, there's probably a lot of folks that that were betting on Alton Jones, Alton Jones Jr. being a pretty dang good bass fisherman. Uh, obviously, where you came from, your father being a pretty much a legend in the game Bassmaster classic mm. champion uh he's also a heavy hitters champion he got that title before you also right, right. you gotta stop following you gotta step on step on out in front of him first right i'm working on it man <laughs> i definitely had a good teacher though you know i like it's uh making it in this sport's not an easy thing but i had a i had a first a first front row seat to to a really good teacher and, and what it takes all kinds, all kinds of front row seats to to a lot of great anglers. I remember you used to travel with your dad everywhere for yeah. for many many years, and and be yeah. able to fish with him and practice with him and and see the whole thing. But I, I tell you what, this heavy hitters event, man, I'm calling it the most dominant performance for sure in the last ten years. Heck, may, maybe more, maybe ever, um, man. You know, and and I, I know that there's another tournament out there where there was a wider gap of weight in this all you know yeah. catch count and release uh mm -hmm. format that mlf utilizes previously in a lot of their events but now in just some of these special events and, and we're going to get into that a little bit but yeah man as your lead grows and grows there at bussy break in this heavy hitters championship round um what's kind of going through your mind and and especially as you just keep getting bites man if there were several times I kind of had to pinch myself. Um, you know, against that crew, you never, ever feel safe. Uh, but it got to the point where I started to feel safe and the day was going so well. And I'm like, this can't be real. This never <laughs> happens. I mean, we're in a, we're at a bush flipping lake and we've got, you know, guys like Andy Morgan in the field. You got Dakota Ebear in the field or some of the, and I mean, Dakota's hotter than anybody on the planet right now. Yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, to have that day, like I keep telling people, those days are why I fish, not why I tournament fish, but why I fish. I mean, it didn't matter if I was fishing for five bucks or a hundred grand. I was going to come off the lake grinning ear to ear, wanting to tell <laughs> everybody about that day because it was everybody, everybody that bass fishes has had that magical day, you know, um, may have been on a pond, may have been on a small lake, may have been on Kentucky Lake. I don't know, but we all have that one day that we'll never forget. And, and that day on Bussy Break was one for me. Um, getting the ball rolling. I just felt really dialed. I felt like I knew exactly the type of trees to look for, how high the fish were sitting in the water column. And I felt like I had something a little bit different, you know, throwing that G crack bellow shad that, that just something they'd never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's, let's, you know, we kind of mentioned the father son champion on the special mm -hmm. heavy hitter event. That's, mm -hmm. that's a neat thing. A lot, you know, some press out there about that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, weight wise, uh, interestingly enough, Michael Neal's biggest, Michael Neal has the biggest weight gap ever, maybe right. in tournament bass fishing because of this all catch. But who was second place? 
Yeah, I'm very Alton, familiar. <laughs> Alton Jones Jr. right out there on St. Clair. I uh-huh. think it was uh, – yeah. I, I made a couple notes mm-hmm. here, but, man, it was like a 76-pound difference. Mm-hmm. But the difference in that is, you know, he had, you know, 160-some pounds. You had 90-some pounds. In this particular right. event, you've got 81 pounds. Mm-hmm. Dakota Ebert finishes second place, has 22 pounds. Yeah. Andy Morgan, as you mentioned before, <clears throat> he had like 19 pounds. I mean, yeah. although the weight separation was different in that St. Clair event, mm-hmm. the domination of what happened here mm-hmm. in this heavy hitters was, uh, dude, it was just unbelievable. Let's yeah. let's let's talk about this white flipping bait. First, I mm-hmm. want to know if outside of bed fishing, how often do you flip? a white colored bait just that color in general not uh not your everyday uh sight on somebody's fishing deck yeah so it's it's fairly rare it's pretty situational it's not something that i apply everywhere every day um but you know whenever there's a shad spawn the fish fresh come off the beds they're still shallow um a lot of times you know you think shad spawn we're talking spinner baits buzz baits lipless crankbaits swim baits you name it um but there are places, you know, you look at um, Wheeler Lake, you look at Sam Rayburn, you look at Bussy Break, where these shad spawns happen in bushes and just incredibly thick cover up in cypress trees and things like that. And it really limits what you can throw right? Um, to mimic a shad because everything else in the world gets hung up really bad. So flipping a white bait um, is, is something that, that I've adapted to uh, when there's a shad spawn. Uh, yet again, in the fall... Um, you know, when you get those shad migrations uh, way back in the creeks, it's yet again very situational, not every lake. Um, but there's times, again, when I'll pick up that white bait. Uh, I kind of learned that. I used to used to work uh, with a company closely associated with Jason Christie. Okay. Um, that's one of the things he did. Um, he's one of those guys, when, when he speaks, I listen. And that's one of the nuances <laughs> I kind of picked up from some of those Oklahoma boys. You know, uh, Biffle was known for it with his little tinfoil Biffle bug. Um, so that's one of the things – uh, growing up around the sport, having a front row seat, it's just one of the things to kind of pick up on um, and uh, kind of put it into my own arsenal. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a that's what they wanted that day for sure. All right, that's a, so that's a great explanation on the white bait scenario. Let's talk about the bait itself, the brand mm-hmm. G Crack Bellow Shad. That was your uh, primary weapon. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure you can let us know. Uh, maybe you caught. All most of your fish that championship mm-hmm. round, to a certain extent. Let's first. I'm going to talk about. I want you to t- tell us a little bit about the bellows shad. But mm-hmm. uh, before we dive into the bait itself, do you believe it was this domination? Do you believe it was the bait? Do you believe it was the area, the technique, your expertise, combination of all? What do you think really laid the 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 groundwork for this? championship day performance i think i think it was definitely a combination of all um area played really really big i mean getting getting the number of bites i did on that body of water doesn't happen very often Mm -hmm. clearly you know we had kind of we had a front blowing in that day um we had some wind blowing across that 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 berm that i was fishing had the cypress trees up on top of it you know and that's the, the place is just an, a featureless bowl for the most part. You know, I right. think you get some current flowing over it and it just stacks those fish up, puts them in a really predictable spot. And what, what, what you have with that wind too, you know, you've got willows and cypress trees. Those are your two types of bushes here. Um, the willows, they all begin to shake with those waves and wind. 
I don't think the bass like it. So they go to look for a hard piece of cover. So any fish that were in those areas on other types of trees, I think they slid right on over to those cypress trees. Um, so that was a nuance I picked up on. It's something I learned kind of from uh, fishing all those days down in Amistad and Falcon and, and right. things of Falcon, especially um, those big fish really don't like uh, the, the bushy trees, you know, the, 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 the green mesquites and stuff when the, when the waves are, are big and the wind's thrashing them. Um, that's when the days I tend to catch them off hardwood if on wood at all. Um, and then when it comes to the bait, um, I've got one right here. I've got, got the pack of bellow shads. I've got a bag glare on them. Yeah, I can see a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I caught to answer, I'm kind of jumping around, grab me, grab me by the hair. If you sure. Sure. Back in. But, uh, you know, I caught like all but two or three of my fish on it that day. I started off, uh, flipping it in those deep willows cause the front hadn't quite hit yet. It was slick calm. And while these willows were seven, six, seven feet deep, okay. um, the shad spawn was happening in the very top of them and the bass were sitting in the very top of them. So I was flipping this thing on a three eighths ounce weight. Uh, and while it doesn't look like much, uh, you know, G cracks a JDM product and, and really with all Japanese baits, it's about the subtleties, right? Just and, lift uh, it a little bit higher so we can get it. Oh, there yeah, you go. Sorry. Yeah, there we oh, go. This one's got a little bent tail. It's not supposed to because it's been watered up under under my seat in my truck for a while. But, <laughs> uh, you know, these ribs, you can see it, it looks like a bulky bait. But as I, as I stretch it out here, you can see the body is incredibly slender. And so yeah. these ribs are just really to give the bait movement. Nah, dude, when it doesn't look like much, but if you haven't thrown it, Put, especially this white one, put it on a spinner bait, put it on a chatter bait or, or flip it on a heavy weight, something that's going to get a lot of water movement across those ribs and watch how this thing swims. Um, you know, when you look at what a shad does, it doesn't have a giant flapping tail. It doesn't have a boot tail like a swim bait. It's a really tight shimmy. Um, and that's what this bait um, imitates perfectly. Uh, you know, I, I designed this bait when I got with G-Crack. I fell in love with G-Crack based off the Bellows Gill. Uh, my dad's a big sight fisherman. Apple didn't fall from far from the tree. I love this <laughs> right. fish. Right. And so uh, the bluegill profile of the Bellows gill, um, which is almost this bait identical, it's just fatter. So we got a shad profile and a bluegill profile. Okay. Um, you know, that's how I fell in love with the bait. I got in contact with Kazuki, who you know. Um, we went fishing together, got to talking, ended up getting on the G-Crack team. And uh, as, as time went on, I uh, found myself uh, actually trimming a Bellows gill down. Oh, into wow. a more slender profile uh just because you know as as we fish generating bites typically you want a little smaller profile yep and uh so i was taking that bellows gill i was just trimming it down trying to keep a, a slender profile a shad like profile but just and I, I noticed how good the bait moved when i trimmed it and i said well why don't we just make this right right um, shad. i can remember i was on lake whitney with kazuki whenever uh whenever we started playing around with it and trimming it and um that there is the bellows shad. It, it really, it was, it was taking the bellows gill and making it a more versatile um, tournament applicable bait, right? Makes a lot um, of sense. Throwing it as a chatter bait, flipping, and it's still one of my favorite sight fishing baits. Last year at Heavy Hitters, um, I caught the biggest bass in the knockout round worth 50 grand, the biggest bass in the championship round worth 100 grand on this exact bait. Not a white one, but a green pumpkin one. Right. Um, 
And so I started off strictly flipping the bait. That's all I did in practice at Bussy Break. Um, then we talked about the wind getting up. and I had let, me, let me ask about that real quick when the wind got up. So uh, you, you went out there. You, you got a chance to, to uh, scout the lake a little bit you yep. know, prior to the championship round. And is, is that a deal where you – I mean, I know you're not launching your own boat because you're using uh, MLF mm-hmm. uh, assigned boats for this particular special event. But um, do you see that the wind is blowing a particular direction – and, and you know from a shad orientation that, that that's going to be a high percentage target? Or was this stretch of bank that you dominated on just a place where you got some bites and, and multiple bites in practice? It's really just a place where I got multiple bites in practice. If, okay. if, you, if you ask most any bass angler, uh, what's the most obvious thing in the lake that should hold a bass? It's the giant berm running all the way across the lake leading out from the spawning flats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's one of those deals. It was a little, almost too obvious. Um, you know, guys, uh, a lot of guys, including myself, we all started kind of in the general area. Bussy has several, it's got like three or four key areas and the rest, it's kind of like Okeechobee, but a very small version of it. Gotcha. The rest is kind of dead water to me. Um, and, uh, a lot of guys started where, you know, where the whole tournament went down last time when we were there last year in February, uh, and so, but as that wind started to pick up, I made the swap over to the cypress trees. And that's when I, that's when I picked up the spinnerbait. Now this is not the exact spinnerbait. I had three mm-hmm. of them that day and I broke every single one of them <laughs> because I caught so many bass on it. This is literally just one I pulled out of my garage. Um, and uh, I, so my first couple fish, like two or three of them that I caught on a spinnerbait around the cypress trees, I saw the wind blowing. I didn't have a trailer. I was just throwing a plain half ounce spinnerbait, right? Okay. Um, but I'm a big believer, whether it's spinnerbaits, buzzbaits, chatterbaits, in throwing some type of a trailer on it because a lot of these windows that I'm hitting under these lanes and these cypress trees are really small, and just slinging around a half-ounce spinnerbait is incredibly difficult to be accurate with. You're going to hang it up. It's not going to skip at all. Right. Um, and so throwing this thing right here on it as a giant trailer, because it is a big trailer for a spinnerbait. I really don't see anybody throw a trailer quite that big adds a lot of bulk. You've got a good flat side to skip the bait. Um, and then yet again, if, if you don't believe me, go try a pack. The, the way this thing moves with the bait, um, is really incredible. And I talked earlier about how high the fish were sitting in the water column. Yes. Yeah. Um, with, with a trailer this big and this bulky, you can keep that bait extremely high in the water column at very slow speeds. Right. And I think that's a really big key to just keeping your bait in the strike zone longer generally fairly muddy um you know i don't think the fish are coming from a long ways to get it so reeling something really slow staying in that strike zone just another second or two um was really really key for me most of the bites i was getting were borderline top water bites i'd pull mm-hmm. it over a limb and i'd see the fish come up and you know roll on the blade so wow. Wow. Um, something a lot of people don't think about when it comes to throwing a spinnerbait is the size of the trailer and what that does not just in profile but like your, how you fish the bait Right. And so speed, um, you're talking about speed, yeah, speed, goes water speed column. and, and, and water column. You know, if I'm yes. wanting to get a, if I'm wanting to get a, if I'm wanting to fish a one ounce spinnerbait, say with a giant number six Colorado yep. um, and be able to fish it slower and shallower, get that thump. That's when, you know, I'm going to want a big trailer. Now, if I'm going to want to get that bait 10 feet deep, I wouldn't recommend the bell of shad as a trailer. It's just too big. It's going to make the bait want to ride up. Um, but you know, those are the little nuances. Um, that I think can separate you from having a, a mediocre day to a really, really good day if you just kind of key in on those little subtleties. 
Yeah, I think that's also, uh, I'll add a great point about throwing a spinnerbait, um, and you could take that to a bladed jig as well. Um, Absolutely. Any of those Absolutely. styles of lures, people don't, you know, understand what you just explained to them so eloquently that that trailer just plays a huge role in the depth and, and action, water column, uh, mm -hmm. speed of retrieve, all yep. those things that, that help uh, a fish react. Let's jump into this G crack thing real quick a little <laughs> bit. Um, you know, it's funny, as you mentioned, I know Kazuki Kitajima, mm -hmm. he's, he's the USA representative with G crack and, um, I knew, I, I kind of had an idea. You never know, right? But I had an idea. We had Kazuki here on Bass Edge Radio probably about 18 months ago, uh, mm -hmm. maybe 12, 18 months ago. Um, but I, I kind of <laughs> figured with the uh, innovation that this company was coming out with lure design, mm -hmm. that it was going to be popular and uh, yep. you know could be highly effective. You've been most effective with it uh, mm -hmm. out in, uh, from a national standpoint. It's been, it's been great <laughs> to see, but... Let, let's talk about their products a little bit. What what are some of the confidence baits? You talked about changing the bellows gill, uh, slendering it down to the bellows shad to be more tournament friendly. Um, not not that the other baits aren't. Um, they, they are. They, they got a lot of great stuff. But what are some of the baits from G-Crack that you rely on that you feel like folks um, need to maybe take a peek at this brand because uh, quite quite frankly, there's not a there's more people using it today than there was two weeks ago. Right, but right. but uh, there's not a whole lot of people with this this brand in their boat. Yeah, so uh, you know, kind of I've I've gone I went from being the only thing JDM I had in my boat was maybe a Mega Bass 110 to like if you go look through my tackle box you're not going to think i'm an american angler like, <laughs> it's a it's a, i've gone so far down that jdm rabbit hole thanks to g crack um which is uh which is a good and a bad thing if you uh if you look at my tackle orders but uh, <laughs> you know seeing seeing how how these guys in japan develop and innovate they're fishing incredibly clear water they don't have a lot of bodies of water with bass extremely high pressure mm -hmm. um and it's always you know they're always innovating something just a little bit before we do, you know, and it, yeah. it comes over and sometimes, you know, like what we just did with the shad from the gill, it needs to be Americanized just a little bit uh, based on the forge that we have over here. It's a little different, but their, their attention to detail is, is just beyond anything that you're going to see mass produce here in the States. Um, you know, talking about baits that, that, that I love the whole uh, bellows line, you know, we've got the bellows shad, the bellows gill, the bellows crawl, the bellows stick, um, they all have that, the ribbed body, a very similar lifelike action. It's, it's, it's really, it's not a loud action. It's not going to be, uh, your rage tail or anything like that, a, a very right. loud action, but it's, it's right. little subtleties. Um, and, and, and what I've seen nowadays in the world of forward facing sonar work, all bass are getting pressure. You know, yeah. there's no such thing as they go offshore and, and are, are left alone. Um, those little subtleties have been, um, what really triggers a lot of strikes. And when I, when I look at, at a bait that is, that I really don't even want to talk about, but has, uh, has, has just opened my mind. If I look at one bait that has opened my mind to what, what G crack is capable of and all the, you know, the, the JDM world of bass fishing is, is the emo Kamushi. Are you familiar with the emo Kamushi? Not, no. Tell me about okay. it. <laughs> so the emo Kamushi, um, you know, for, for, for those that don't know what it is, uh, we're all familiar with like uh, the cover scat, that poop bait. Yeah. Um, yes. Some guys catch them on. 
Um, it's in that same family. So they, they've got a, they've got one called an emo ripper, a G crack. And uh, it is just your standard. Um, it looks like a fat Senko with a tail. It's about a, you know, yay big around and about three and a half inches long. I think it's 95 millimeters is how they okay. gauge it. Um, and you fish it weightless. You fish it. Uh, it's, it's an extremely high content with a SAF material, a G crack. And uh, it's got a rate of fall, probably a foot to a foot and a half a second. And they, they fish it offshore. They fish it deep grass lines, deep rock piles. Um, and they fish it some really unique ways. But the Emo Kamushi is one of those baits. So take the same bait, the Emo Ripper, and you thread jig skirt material all throughout it. So okay. it's like a hairy turtle, <laughs> right? For lack of a better word. Um, That's cool. I look at this thing the first time and I'm like, this isn't going to catch a bass. What, what is that supposed to be? Um, and then uh, not too long down the road, Shin Fukai has like a top three finish at Chickamauga throwing a cover scat. And I'm like, you know, maybe I ought to look into this Emo Ripper and Emo Kamushi and see what it's all about. Right. Um, almost everything that I've ever looked at in the world of bass fishing said, that's dumb. It's not going to catch a bass. Somebody wins a hundred grand on it very shortly. <laughs> right. um, and, and it makes me feel dumb. So uh, this Emo Kamushi, uh, you fish it the same way, heavyweight, uh, or you fish it weightless because of the heavyweight salt content of the bait. I like it's to call these things gravity baits. I don't think anybody, I don't even know baits. where I came up with that That's term. But, pretty good. I like but, it. Yeah, I, I call them gravity baits because they're they're heavier than normal mm. plastics. And, yep. um, you know, it's not that they fall super fast. but No, they, not fast at all. But, but, but fast but, enough where you can fish it weightless in deep water. And you could fish it on 15, 20 pound test. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily a finesse yeah. technique. Yeah, and so uh, I kind of branched out and started doing that. Uh, went to Cayuga, which we're going to again this year, mm -hmm. um, fishing some some deeper water, 17, 20 feet. Started catching fish on a crankbait and a drop shot, finding some big schools of fish, right? Um, and I can remember one day live scoping out there, and, and I had one tied on, you know, kind of for kicks, right? And I, I threw this thing out there, and I'm watching it go down. I'm watching it go down, and it gets, it gets about 10 foot over this fish's head, and sure enough, here comes a lot for fish. So I'm like, yeah, right. By the time, boom, oh, my line jumped. And I'm like, no way. And I said, it's five pounder. And I'm like, that was just an aggressive fish. It was a fluke. I bombed that sucker right back out there, catch a three and a half. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I was able to take that bait right there for large now um, and fish places. I mean, these fish were getting a lot of pressure. Right. Most of the field is fishing in one area. Everybody's fishing a drop shot. Some guys are catching them on a crankbait, but finesse tactics were, were dominating that event. And I, I rode it to like a top 15 finish. And, and really fishing deep offshore summertime is my weakness. So for me to be able to ride it to a top 15 finish says something about that bait. Hey, it works works really well. <laughs> right, yeah. And while, while, guys are, while guys are fishing six-pound tests and, and, and working really hard for these bites, I can go for a 17-pound line, a bait caster, and uh and and catch these largemouth and and honestly i was catching we were fishing every fish counts at that time we were right. you know gone to a five fish had it yeah. been a five fish format i would have ridden it to a lot higher in the top 15 i wasn't getting quite as many bites as some guys but my quality throwing that bigger profile bait was much better and i'll add in one more for a long story i took this same bait to malax okay absolutely smashed the big smallmouth on it wow. you know fishing fishing some isolated boulders that had five, 10 fish on them. I'd fish a drop shot on them for like 10 minutes and I'd watch them on four facing sonar swimming around my bait, doing all the other stuff. I throw that Kamushi out there 
he'd get about five foot around the boulder and all of a sudden they just they're just they're curious creatures and sure enough the biggest one in the group would come eat it it was it was incredible i, I can't wait you know we did with the bill of shad we put it on the map this week we sold a lot of them they're kind of they're all the white ones anywhere sold out on everywhere you can you can look at them but i can't wait to do it with the emo kamushi um because it, it it will get that opportunity yeah i think that's that that technique that style of bait certainly probably the next big thing coming mm-hmm. from japan you know you can yeah. talk about the drop shot and and and, and a lot of different techniques mm-hmm. but uh, I, I really feel like they are ahead of the game mm-hmm. uh as as they often are in an engineering standpoint but yeah. uh they're they kind of ahead of that deal and, and that's gonna see some stuff we had we had an episode with kenta kimura kenta mm-hmm. uh, knows it and talk a lot about that on the program as well so yeah. if, if you want to go back and listen to that episode please do uh with kenta kimura just uh maybe it was around the beginning of the year I will because, uh, you know, I follow him on all his social channels and every picture he posts, I'm zooming in as tight as I can uh, to see what he, to see what he's throwing. And then usually I'm calling Kazuki and be like, hey, do you see this little nail wave you've got in here? What is, what is this? Where can I get it? And Kazuki's like, you, only, you can only get it in Japan. And I'm like, well, I need it. Before before we leave G-Crack, I don't want to make this a G-Crack. There's a lot of great things to talk about G-Crack, yeah, but yeah. I, I definitely don't want to make this like a – uh, over G crack. Even right, that, right. that was the winning bait. <laughs> so, it was. I mean, it, and, there's no way around it. So you talked uh, briefly or mentioned an SAF material. And I know uh, I need some insight from you. you. You probably have more understanding of this uh, brand than I do, but dude, the, the plastic smells like Fritos. What, yeah, what is yeah, going so on I, with the smell I, I of the bait? Smell them right now. Some people say it smells bad. Other people say it smells good. I don't think it smells um, bad. But I don't, I, I, so people say it smells bad, and then I'm like, close your close your eyes and say like pretend it's a bag of chips. And they're like, oh, that's not bad. I think they're just taken back by the fact that a bag of lure smells like that. Um, don't ask me what all is in the SF, SAF okay. material. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I know there's I know there's uh, there's some uh, you know like. MSG, amino acids, basically things we eat in our in a lot of foods we eat, and that's, okay, that's cool. getting that smell, um, some of those preservatives. But uh, well, the SAF material is just just what they use for their plastic. Uh, there's there's different variations of the SAF material, um, like this one right here is 40. percent um, Some of those emo kamushi, those heavier pla- you know, heavier salt content bait, have a higher percent increasing your rate of fall. Um, so so yeah, it's it's just very SAF. Is yeah, their deal. All right, cool. Very unique. All right, let's get into a little bit of personal stuff. Practice outside. You know, you go to these events. You've got several events throughout the year. If you qualify for Red Crest heavy hitters, you're you're on the road quite a bit. Um, first, I got to say congratulations. I know you got a newborn. Yeah, we've got or, or one fairly new. Turned uh, turned one month today. So one yeah, it's today. pretty new, and uh, uh, you know that's that's getting uh, the majority of my time and attention right now. I'm about to head to Gunnersville. Um, but man, it's just, uh, I can't hardly make myself do tackle right now. And just, cause I, I mean, I just missed the 10 days of the <laughs> right, first month right. of his life. So I'm, I'm trying to, trying to spend as much time with him as I can and, and really soak it all up. Cause it's, it's crazy. I know he's only a month old, but he's, he's growing so fast. Do you, chalk, do you chalk up the heavy hitters win partially mm-hmm. to the baby pattern? Um, 
<laughs> I mean, it's, that is a thing in bass it's, fishing. It's 10% G crack, 90% baby powder. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I love that. It used to be a big thing in like the mid to late 2000s, you know, um, on the Elite Series. It was one yeah. of those things where it was like, oh, this person's, you know, their wife's pregnant. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna win the tournament. And, and right. then they win. It was, yeah. it was, well, we're um, bringing the baby pattern back. There you go. I like it. Um, do you do a lot of fishing around the house um, when you're off at tournaments? Uh, you, you know, jump out there with the with the guys and gals doing the weekend uh, or the weeknighters, you know, the Thursday night or the Wednesday night or anything like that? <laughs> you know, I have in the past. I, I really don't fish as much at home now um, just because I spend so much time on the road. And when I'm yep. out at a tournament, um, when I do spend time on the water, it's, it's content building either for sponsors for my own YouTube channel you know, all social media channels. Um, so I really don't get the opportunity to, to fun fish, you know, the closest days I, I get, I, I take that, you know, I get a day or two here and there to go fish with my dad, go fish with some of my old team partners. Right. Um, but you know, the closest thing I get to fun fishing is, uh, I take some, some charity trips to some special private lakes where it's just as much a fun trip for me as it is for the people paying for the trip. But, uh, <laughs> it's a catch know, fest. <laughs> right. Catch fest. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't fish, uh, locally tournament wise around here, you know, mostly because I don't put my time in. I don't care how good you are. If you're not putting your time in, I'm going to get smoked by these dudes fishing a Wednesday nighter that are fishing two to three days a week out on these bodies of water and have been for the past six months. Um, and so if, if I'm not, if I'm not investing my time, I'm not going to invest my money. My ego is too That's big. Great. I'm not going to just go, I'm not just going to go donate, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, cause there's, there's a lot of good sticks, uh, in, in all these jackpotters you go fish all across the country. That's a great point. Time, time is so important. How do you deal with that? You know, a lot of these lakes, they kind of get into the national tournament rotation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go to a lot of same places. But when you get new tournaments on, on uh, or tournaments on new lakes, mm -hmm. do you generally like to get out there and, and take a peek at these places for five, six, mm -hmm. seven days and really kind of get the, a feel for them if you know they're going to become a, a national stop on a regular basis? You know, I, I, I would never say I've spent five, six, seven days, uh, mostly because when we, when we go pre-practice as professionals, we don't go fish, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm doing a lot of graphing. I want to see as much of that body of water as I can. And usually, uh, usually two to three days, even if we're talking a 50, 60,000 acre lake, if I'm doing, if I'm doing my work, right, that's not fun. If I'm doing my work and staring at that graph, running my mercury motor all across the lake. I can see a lot, break down a lot in a short amount of time. And, uh, you know, we're a month, two months out a lot of times when I'm riding around. So yep. doing fishing, finding fish that day is not important. Uh, I'm trying to get a vibe for the lake, see if there's grass in certain areas, you know, maybe, maybe mark a few brush piles, rock piles, things like that. Uh, but I'm trying to think ahead on where these fish are going to be and uh, really just trying to get a lay for the lake. And But I, I love when we go to new bodies of water because that, that's where you can start to get an advantage. Like that's where you can outwork people. When we go to places like we're about to go to Gunnersville right now. Um, You've been there like 20 times. <laughs> I believe it or not. I've never fished a professional level tournament there. I've been there quite a few Are times. Are you serious? But, but you know, you've got a lot of these other guys in the field. Um, it'd be hard to outwork them. They've got a hundred competition days on yes. this body of water. Um, so it's really hard to get a leg up, but you know, um, when we go to these new bodies of water, your Caney, Bussy Break, Darbone, uh, out in Raleigh, 
um, those are the kind of places where we're put that extra work in, put that extra time in, really give yourself an upper hand. All right, cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take one more question from you, then we let you go. Get ready for uh, Gunnersville, and and you probably got some chores there around the house before yes, you go. I've got and, a long you, list. you got to give the baby love, too, right? That's right. <laughs> so last question, summertime, uh, it's approaching, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're here in the middle of May. Uh, you know, down south, things moving past that shad spawn, getting into, you know, kind of that pre-early summer period. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you like to go about looking for a pattern this time of year? Are you sounded earlier in the interview, you kind of, not that you don't mind going out deep, but you kind of focus more on that shallower section of the lake. T tell us about how you like to catch them this time of year and what you're looking for, for Alton Jones Jr. to, uh, have some immediate success. Yeah. So, um, one of the things like, when I'm when it, when it comes to this time of year, you got to look at are you fishing a reservoir? Or are you fishing a river system? Right? Like if you're going to if you're in the Tennessee River, um, fish are going to tend to move out a lot quicker and in bigger numbers, and they're going to okay. get in these huge schools. Right? I mean, it's not so much cover oriented. Right? They're not sitting behind a stump. They're not sitting on a brush pile. Um, so you're looking for different things. There, you're actually side scanning for actual schools of fish, right? They're, they're right. sitting tight on the bottom. Typically those river bars are hard bottom where you can see them. Um, you come over into Texas, Oklahoma, even up into the Ozarks. Um, most of these lakes, they're reservoirs. They don't have current. Um, when fish go offshore, they don't do it in these massive schools. They're, there's not current to position these fish by the thousands like mm -hmm. there are. Um, so a lot of times there you're looking more for cover. Um, and it, t it tends to be like, really, honestly, if I'm talking around here, which is where I have the most expertise, um, offshore here is not 20 feet deep. A lot of times it's seven to 12. Uh, all of the big ones I've ever caught offshore when I'm talking around my home, uh, on the dirtier impoundments, there's a few crystal clear places that are, that are outliers, but on the, on the dirtier water lakes where you're fishing that green fishable water, um, 15 feet is really as deep as I'm going to fish. And I'm going to focus on on structure, right? I'm, I'm focusing on cover, be it, be it a bridge, a roadbed, a brush pile. I mean, you can't go wrong with a brush pile. Um, and, and really trying to focus on some of that shower stuff. And I think that's where you can get a little bit sneakier with it. So if I'm a, if I'm an angler trying to separate myself as these fish start to move out shore, offshore, um, people tend to try to get ahead of the fish. They try to go deeper than the fish want to be. Um, I think if you, if you Take the time, graph a little shallower. Um, and I'm talking for guys that are fishing reservoirs here. Yeah. Um, and, and, and look for that sneakier brush pile, some of those sneakier house foundations in 15 foot and less. Um, you know, I'd say 10 foot and less is even better. Um, you might set yourself apart, have some fish that aren't going to get as pressured. And uh, I think you're going to have a potential to catch an even bigger fish than some of those guys fishing out deep. I like it. Great, great tips. Great. Uh... Great approach, uh, especially for, like I say, you know, I, I feel like you're that shallow water. Uh, that's that's kind of your true love, and is it not? It, it is. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I try to be a little bit of a jack of all trades, master right. of none. If I had to, if I had to pick a specialty, it's sight fishing. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I feel more confident in shallow water, but in the world of forward facing sonar, I think if you can master that, you can get good at deep water really, really fast. Um, and so I've, I've gotten a lot more comfortable over the past five, six years as, as we've watched pan optics go to live scope to live scope plus. 
Um, I've kind of rode that wave all the way through, but um, yeah, definitely. I find, I find myself more at home (laughs) in five foot and less. There you go. Great, great word for it. Any final thoughts for our listeners before we let you go out? Man, uh, no, I, I, I'm really looking forward to Lake Gunnersville. Uh, this is my survive and advance type lake. I'm having a pretty good season, but this is the one where I circle it and I'm like, keep the wheels on the tracks right here. You know, <laughs> this is where we, this, if I can, if I can somehow have a good event here, we'll be in a real good place. But uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully we get to do it again soon, sooner than 2016 to 2023. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but, uh, we'll but do I'm it really again. We'll have to see if they, if we can't get them to make those special events as a uh, a um, uh, another point event that you can substitute for a poor event. Right? right. Yeah. No, I would love that because <laughs> the heavy hitters events have been good. The past <laughs> I mean, it's been good to your bank account, no yeah, doubt. 150 absolutely. plus last year, and you won this year. It's been uh, that's that's a great tournament, and uh, man, congratulations! Well done. Good Thank luck you. the rest of the season. Go do what you got to do. Thank you for being right here on Bass Edge Radio. Nitro, a rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champions. Where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast. A pure fishing machine. Nitro. Release the champion within. Nobody wants to run out of power when they're on the water. There is a better way. Introducing the Charge Marine Power Management Station from PowerPole that does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system. PowerPole Charge. All right, here we are back at Bass Edge Radio. Man, got a few final thoughts. It's been, a, it's been an awesome show. Um, obviously, a gray buck coming on in that showcase segment. Uh, Gray had some some really neat things to say. Uh, I go back to something we mentioned a few episodes ago, and that was a developing pattern was his key to success over there at Lake of the Ozarks. So uh, really neat to see how, how, you know, kind of that developed for him. But also just throughout the springtime, it seems like he's been relying on just a couple of techniques uh, he's been able to make those work through through the fisheries that he's been to. A lot of those fisheries have been pre-spawn and, um, you know, picking up that jig and uh, throwing that vibrating uh, vibrating jig as well has been uh, some key things for him. You can see as when he talks about those baits that uh, they just kind of resonate with what he's been doing this year and um, how he's been able to put, you know, some better quality fish in the boat. It's got him fourth place in the MLF Invitational standing. So um, it's going to be fun to see if he can keep that rolling on two river systems, which uh, the Potomac River and obviously the uh, Mississippi River up there in La Crosse to see if he can punch that ticket to the Bass Pro Tour. I mean, jumping back into our our, uh, segment that we just left with Alton Jones Jr., um, I thought maybe the most interesting part of of the whole interview, although the G crack thing was really cool, um, you know, having 
uh, sneaky bait, maybe along with he talked about sneaky spots, you know, part of his success, kind of that mid-depth zone that he likes to target in this early summertime frame when those fish are moving out, kind of jumping on those bass that, uh, you know, aren't yet obviously into the mid-summer to late-summer um, mood where they get a little bit lethargic, but capitalizing on some of those big fish in that in that mid-depth zone. But but really it was, he doesn't fish a whole lot at home because time on the water. Uh, makes perfect sense, right? That that time on the water is key to being successful. But, but even a seasoned professional um, that's had the success that Alton Jones Jr. has had, he understands the meaning of time on the water and, and what it means to having success at the local level. A level that I know a lot of Bass Edge Nation is fishing. And, um, you know, understanding that the home lake or, or those two or three lakes that, that might be within an hour or so drive of, of your home is so important to be successful. But the way that you be successful on those impoundments is by spending a lot of time on those impoundments and really staying up with seasonal behavior patterns, movements of the fish, and and uh, kind of where they're headed. Even Alton Jones Jr. is uh, is leery of tossing his money into a hometown derby. So that was that was interesting to hear. Tell you what, we've got uh, some some good events coming up. Uh, uh, again, Alton talked about the uh, MLF coming up at Lake Gunnersville. The Bass Pro Tour event is going to be starting May 16th. We've got the uh, Bassmaster Opens going on May 18th at Wheeler Lake. Uh, that race is starting to heat up a little bit. They're through three events of the nine EQ events. A cool race to watch going on there. There's a lot of movement after that Bugs Island event. And uh, the final I believe it's the Southwest Division, they call it, which is basically the Texas Division of the MLF Toyota Series starting March 18th over there at Lake Sam Rayburn. There's going to be some guys uh, punching their ticket to the Toyota Championship, which is going to happen in November at Table Rock Lake. Um, want to remind everybody, in celebration of our 400th podcast, we're going to be doing a giveaway uh, you've got the opportunity to win this bad boy right here, or or actually five of these guys. This is um, $125 worth of Midway USA gift cards. That's five $25 gift cards. All you need to do is like and comment on this episode. Of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel so y'all get after it. Good luck in winning $125. $5 worth of gift, gift cards from um, Midway USA. Thanks again, MLF Invitational Pro Gray Buck, Heavy Hitters Champion, Alton Jones Jr. Be sure to tune back in with us here at Bass Edge. The next episode is going to happen on June 1. We're going to have two more great guests to help us out all become better anglers. I got I to gotta mention that Bass Pro Shops, big part of of Bass Pro, excuse me, a big part of Bass Edge, and uh, their support here means a whole lot. Bass Pro Shops always want you to remember that there's someone down, everybody lives downstream, so uh, Bass Pro Shops, appreciate them. Uh, as mentioned in several, several shows, 
Bass Edge podcast available on YouTube through Bass Edge's continuing on audio podcast platform, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, many others. Don't forget, you can keep up with that uh, programming through all of those streaming providers. Uh, Megaware Keel Guard, developer of the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. Protect yourself from grinding sand, abrasive rocks, concrete boat ramps, along with nitro performance bass boats, power pole, and mercury marine. Y'all take care. We will see you next time from Bass Edge Radio.